You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hey, 770 AM, 92.5 FM News Talk, WVNN. Phil Williams here as the host of Right Side Radio. We got you from 2 to 5 p.m. today. It is 2.08 right now, just getting the show started, and Copper is once again running the board. Hello, Miss Copper. Hello. Happy afternoon. Happy afternoon to you. It is indeed a happy afternoon. Any chance you get a ch- just a, a, an opportunity to have a platform like this, it's a happy afternoon. So... Hey, uh, listen, folks, we got an incredible show for you today. And every day I think, okay, how are we going to beat that? Well, we come back and we do more stuff and it just keeps seeming to getting better and better. So today at 2.30, I've got a guest coming on. You're going to enjoy this, a guy named Rob Holbert. He's an investigative reporter and one of the founders of a paper down on the south part of our state, the the coastal area called Lanyap News. They've got a subscription of 30,000 people reading their stuff. And he's done some amazing investigative reporting just recently like on where is money going in the University of Alabama system. You're going to be fascinated by that one. At 3.30, we got Secretary of State John Merrill going to call in, and we're going to talk about these uh, Democrats from Texas who chose to flee the state because they were scared to be called in to do the job that they were elected to do, which is debate bills and vote up or down on how they feel. And uh, we're going we're gonna to spend some time unpacking that and talking about how those laws even compare to what we've already done in Alabama. And, oh, by the way, we're still here. And then at 4.05, we've got Dale Strong, currently with the uh, Madison County Commission, who is now a candidate for Congress. And uh, we'll see what he has to say about his campaign, give him a chance to come on the air. And uh, listen, it's going to be a full, full three hours. But as always, we will endeavor to empower and entertain and educate and enlighten because this show is for you. I mean, this is your voice. We, we, we want Right Side Radio to be the place that you tune in and you're glad you were there and you walked away with something. G- give me give me something, Phil, and and I, we're going to we're going to give you plenty of somethings. And every bit of it is going to be our our byline is we are solid conservative and just plain right. And listen, I, I I was thinking about what to do with today's show. And you know, I always do uh, what I call the right side way, which is the opening few minutes this is me giving you a storyline or an opinion and sort of unpacking uh, some thoughts for you. And and one of the things that I hear all the time from folks is, how do I make a difference? All this stuff's happening. How do I I make a difference in this? Well, let me tell you something. It is very common. And if you are one of those who's asking, like, what good am I doing? Or is anybody paying attention? It is very common for that to be the feeling. And, and, And if you're thinking, if I stick my neck out, will it even be worth it? Why does it matter? I'll tell you right now, the short answer is yes, it matters. It's worth it. The long answer is the ramifications of what good people get done by taking a good stand are not always even immediately evident, but they can change the world by just changing their little piece of it. And that's what I'm talking about today. I am not going to be up here telling you, go out and change the whole world. But I will tell you this, if you change your little piece of it, you have no idea what the ramifications will be. Oh my gosh. Storyline after storyline, history is replete with people who chose to just change their little piece of the world about that one thing they cared about and that they were passionate about, and they had no idea the ripple effects it would have. Sometimes more than ripples, it became waves. You guys, listen, there's a case in point. Let me, let me recommend a book to you. And by the way, uh, somebody asked me and suggested, 
these books that I recommend occasionally, can you put them on the website? You can find our website, www.rightsideradio.org. All the things about the show are on there. Old clips are on there from when we've given previous uh, segments on the radio. And then we're going to put the book list up there. Just if you want to get one, you know, because you hear me. What was that book Phil talked about? Well, it'll be on the book list. Here's a book for you. Gates of Fire. Copper, you ever heard of Gates of Fire? I'm afraid not. Oh, my gosh. One of the best books. Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield is one of the few books that I have read more than once because I got so much out of it because I enjoyed it so much. And, and it's actually mandatory reading in a lot of military circles uh, because it is such a study on leadership. Now, Gates of Fire is actually a novel, but it's a historical novel. So this was a completely well-researched, fairly accurate novel that was put together, much like movies are sometimes, to be able to portray a historical fact. It is the story of the 300 Spartans who stood in the gap in the face of overwhelming odds. All right, now some of y'all are going, oh, wasn't that that movie 300 with Gerard Butler? Yes, it was, but they had like, uh, that was almost like a cartoon character by comparison. <laughs> it was a true story, all right? Many try to use a simple quote from that battle as a rallying cry just for the Second Amendment, but it was so much more than that. Let me tell you the story. I want to unpack this. I want to give it um, a, a, a complete perspective for you. So historical Greece was a fractured group of people, all right? There was a society of, of people that did not always get along. And the different cities in Greece, Athens, Sparta, and the others, they were called city-states because each one was autonomous in their own right, and they often fought against each other. They were fledgling democracies, but they were fractured. And they didn't get along, and they each had their own culture. Now, on the other side of what we now call the Dardanelles, which they back then called the Hellespont, it was a narrow waterway that separated Greece, the Greece mainland, from the mighty Persian Empire, who had a tyrant king who called himself a god-king named Xerxes. And unlike the Persians, who were, who, unlike the, the Greeks, who had a fledgling democracy, the Persians were ruled by a single authoritarian king. He had all power over life and death. Well, one of the few things the Greeks could truly agree on was their love for the Olympic Games, but they also agreed on their hate for the Persians. All right, that's the stage we set. Now, Xerxes had assembled the largest army in the then known world. He actually built a pontoon bridge three quarters of a mile long across the Hellespont. Can you imagine a pontoon in that day and age? And, and, and began marching his army across with the intent to conquer all of Greece. And, and honestly, his, history shows that many of the Greek city-states just capitulated when they heard about it. They just like threw down their arms and said, we're done, we'll be Persians, it's okay. Among the ones who chose not to, the ones who wanted to take a stand, were Sparta and Athens. Now, the Spartans were a warrior class. I mean, it's just literally legendary that the mothers in Sparta for their warrior sons, before they went off to battle, would hand them their shield and say, my son, this is your shield. You come back with it or you come back on it. <laughs> the Athenians were not like that per se, but they were, they were strong in their own right. Now, at the same time, the Olympic Games were going on when the, you know, the Hellespont was being crossed, and the political class in Sparta would not mobilize their army because it was, a, it was a holy time for them. And they considered it sacred. But the Spartan king, his name was Leonidas. Leonidas had the authority to mobilize a small contingent of warriors at, at any time if he needed to. And so without political approval, because they wouldn't give it to him, he mobilized 300 of his most highly trained warriors. 300 in the face of a million-man army coming across the Hellespont. There was a large group of Athenians that decided to join them. And then Leonidas went and picked his battlefield. He literally chose a place 
a very narrow pass, all right? Picture this. You've got a narrow pass that is in some places only yards wide, and on one side is a drop-off to the sea, and on the other side are steep cliffs up to the mountains. And the only way to get from the Hellespont into Greece proper was to march through that area. It was in a place called Thermopylae, and it was known by the Greeks as the Hot Gates. And for three days, those 300 Spartans and their Athenian brethren stood in the gap shoulder to shoulder and gave the Xerxes army such a beating. I mean, they wore them out because they, they, they were the, the thumb or the finger in the dike. They were the impos- impassable group of men. And at one point, hoping to bring it all to an end, Xerxes sent his emissary and he asked Leonidas with promises of great wealth and power to please surrender. And Leonidas would not do it. And the emissary got frustrated and said, just throw down your sword, to which Leonidas famously responded, Molan Labe, which means you come and take it. Another quote, though, by the way, which is also considered to be a real actual quote, the emissary said, but don't you know that our arrows are so many they will block out the sun, to which one of Leonidas' captains, a guy named Dianakis, said, well, that's good. Then we'll fight our battle in the shade today. Their attitude was whatever it takes. Well, ultimately, a Greek trader showed the Persians a little goat herder's trail that went up through a pass in the mountains, and the Persian army was able to flank the Spartans and ultimately killed them all. Sounds like the end of the story, huh? On its face, it would seem like they lost that day. But if the story stopped there, I'd have to agree, but it's what came after the story that really matters because the Persians bled a lot, and the world got to see that the mightiest warriors in the known world were no longer so scary. Also, the separate Greek city-states who couldn't ever get along about anything, they rallied around the stand of the 300, and they coalesced as a unified force of cities that, in effect, for the first time, became a nation. But only after the Battle of the Hot Gates were the Persians truly beaten, because one year later, a united Greek people whooped them on the field of battle, and the Persian army limped back across the Hellespont with two-thirds of their army gone. Historians believe, and here's why I tell this story, Historians believe that on that fateful day in the narrow pass at Thermopylae, a small group took a stand against tyranny and oppression, and they changed the world. Because had they not done that, the Persian Empire, which is now Iran, would have controlled the entire hemisphere. And so much of what we now consider to be Western civilization would never have happened. Democracy sprung out of Greece. Literacy, self-governance, individual liberties, all these things would have been gone under a Persian rule. 300 men did not know what would happen if they took their stand at the hot gates, but they knew for a fact what would happen if they did not. So where are you today? School board bothering you? U.S. Senate rate rate concern? Election laws? Critical race theory? Fiscal discipline? Foreign policy? Business climate in your state? What is your passion? Because I'll tell you right now, we don't hit every target we aim at, but we definitely miss every target we don't shoot at. So you pick your spot. Just work on your little corner of the world. It is so worth it, and it may get much bigger than you ever imagined. Those 300 men in the hot gates, they're a lesson for the world. And that's a wrap for the Right Side Way for today. Hey, Copper, go ahead and cue up the music. I'm going to catch my breath. But listen, folks, I'm serious. Change your little piece of the world. That's all you got to do. Don't go out there thinking, I don't know how to change the whole world. Just change that one thing you care about right there in your immediate bubble. You'll be amazed what can happen. All right. 770 AM, 92.5 FM. We'll be right back. 
92.5 FM Right Side Radio here on WVNN in the afternoons. We are the talk of the town. I'll tell you right now, the show has been a joy to be a part of. It's an honor to have this platform. I'm going to say that and remind myself of that daily. I've got an actual note sitting above my desk right now. I'm looking at it. It says it is an honor to have this platform, and it, and it certainly, certainly is. Hey, listen, guys, uh, Phil Williams here. Uh, I'm your host for Right Side Radio. Um, Copper, have you been looking at the news today? Some. Why? What's going on? I mean, everything's going on. I mean, like you see the story about Texas lawmakers uh, like vacating the state, trying to avoid having to vote on a on a bill they don't like. Yes. So my question was, how legal is that actually? You know, it's it's amazing you say that because, uh, like Charlene and I were talking about it, and 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 she had the opinion. I I agree with it. Is that is it? It's also dangerous for our society. Legal? I don't think there's anything illegal about it because the. Um, you know, the, the, the freedom of expression, the right to travel is, is there. Ethical could be a different story. I mean, you're elected to go down to your state capitol, debate bills, and vote up or down, right? And the fact that they don't like it, here, here's an interesting piece. I heard a uh, Texas state legislator last night. He was on with um, Pete Hegseth from Fox. Pete was wearing him out, um, my, my wife kept referring to the young Democrat as Doogie Hauser, but, uh, but, but there he was doing the best he could. But he started laying it on pretty thick. He goes, listen, when, when Trump lost, nobody would accept it. And now they want to pass laws to make sure that an election that was won fair and square doesn't. Well, I got news. Here's the thing, Copper. That guy lost, and he won't accept it. If the people of the state of Texas put a Democrat minority in place— that means the Republican majority won the election, and they have the right to bring bills. And one day, if Democrats win back those seats, they can try to undo them. But right now, their job is to do what their people were elected them to do. Go debate the bills, you bunch of cowards. That's the way I feel about it. Copper, your thoughts? Yep, it's uh, pretty shameless when, of course, if Republicans did anything like that, they get accused of destroying democracy and uh democrats will just up and leave yeah you know and and i exactly and and i i had uh i had a situation so me personally down in the state like because i just, just remind the audience i was in the state senate for eight years and um there was one particular difficult bill and i don't remember what it was now but i had another actual republican look at me and go hey man this is a hard vote and you got a re-election coming up you might want to take a walk and take a walk was code for don't be in the room, don't be on the record. All right, so take a walk. And I looked at him, and and I'll never forget this. It just came out before I could even couch my terms. I, I said, I didn't come down here to take walks. And and he just got kind of this kind of like, uh, oh, crap, look on his face. And he just said, well, all right, fine. And turned I walked off. But all said and done, it's amazing to me when people will get elected to a job and then realize the job has pressures and constraints they don't like, so they don't want to do the job. That's what the Democrats are doing right now. They're avoiding their own job. Um, a lot of other things going on in the news. It's just amazing to watch. I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you look at the things that are happening, hey, here's a lighter side, though. Uh, Copper, you may appreciate this. I'm looking at a story right now. A Florida man was cleaning out a house and found a million-dollar lottery ticket. What? <laughs> That's, hang on, I gotta open the story. This is this is too good to be true. Was it so, his oh, originally? Well, it's no, it's his. No. It's his now. <laughs> so here here's the story. 
It's being reported in the New York Daily News. Okay, all right, stop running the ads on my computer. Hang on one second. Good Lord, click through 15 different ads. I probably got a virus now. Okay, a Florida man won a $1 million Powerball prize after he found a winning ticket while he was cleaning Oh, cleaning his own house on July 4th. So he didn't even know he had it. And he found it. He was like, wait a minute. This is worth some money. A million dollars, copper. Can you imagine? It's pretty sweet. It, it also pays to clean your house, right? <laughs> yeah, really. Literally. All right. Well, listen, we got plenty going on. I got a guest coming on you're going to want to hear. Extremely interesting. So uh, Rob Holbert's going to be here from the Lanyap newspaper to talk about some strange spending in the University of Alabama system. All right. You're going to want to hear this because I got news. That's your University of Alabama. Those are your tax dollars that support that university. Uh, you might want to know where the money goes. All right. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Time's now 2.30. We'll be right back.